Israel. Biggest story at the moment, of course. This is in the Daily Mail. And of course, whatever I see now, it's a developing story and other things would have happened by the time you hear this. But this, what I'm going to say about this overall situation will hopefully give you some idea if you don't know already. Anyway, the headline is, Gaza on the brink as rockets rain down and Israel's blockade leaves its 2.3 million residents without electricity, internet or running water. Gaza faces a humanitarian crisis as Israel's blockades resulted in its only power plant running out of fuel, authorities warned yesterday. Israel's blockade on supplies of fuel, food, water and medicines to the Palestinian territory has left Gaza's 2.3 million residents without electricity, internet or running water. Its only power plant shut down after running out of fuel, leaving schools and hospitals reliant on emergency generators with dwindling supplies of fuel. Israeli air strikes continue to pound the Gaza Strip, obliterating entire neighbourhoods in retaliation for Saturday's attacks by Hamas militants, which killed more than 1,200. Troops and tanks gathered near the Israel-Gaza border ahead of an expected ground assault as Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu formed an emergency government with key members of the opposition party. Gaza's Almazan Centre for Human Rights warned the enclave was on the brink of collapse. It said soon all services vital for the survival of the population, including hospitals, will no longer function. It came as the Palestinian death toll since Saturday rose to more than 1,100 including 326 children with thousands more wounded. Israeli airstrikes reportedly killed one of the two founders of Hamas, Abd al-Fatah Dukan, known as Abu Osama, and two other senior leaders. Hamas continued to fire rockets into Israel, hitting a hospital in, in the southern city of Ashkelon. Foreign Secretary James Cleverly, on a visit to Israel, was forced to run for shelter after warning sirens sounded. At least 17 British citizens, including children, were confirmed among the dead and missing from Saturday's attacks. British Airways and Virgin Atlantic suspended flights to Tel Aviv after BA diverted one plane moments before landing. Israel has admitted its airstrikes have prioritised damage, not accuracy, and Palestinian authorities say a hospital, mosques and a university have all been hit. Medicines and medical supplies, including antiseptic, are on the verge of running out, according to the Palestinian Health Ministry, which said women and children made up 60% of those injured. Dwindling fuel supplies and damage to roads have also jeopardised rescue operations with teams unable to reach potential survivors trapped under the rubble. The scale of Israel's retaliation has led to concern among the international community, including fears voiced by Pope Francis. He called on Hamas to release hostages taken during Saturday's assault and said he was praying for those killed, injured and bereaved in the attacks. In his weekly audience in Rome, the Pope said... Whoever is attacked has the right to defend himself, but I am very worried about the total siege under which the Palestinians in Gaza are living, where there are also many innocent victims. A prominent mosque in Egypt, Al-Ajar Al-Sharif, calling for Israel to be investigated for alleged war crimes against civilians in Gaza, including its inhumane siege. Israel has defended its air campaign, saying it was right to strike at the nest of terror behind the mass attacks. It came as US Secretary General Antonio Guterres warned against the conflict spilling over into its neighbouring countries. He said, I appeal to all parties and those who have an influence over those parties to avoid any further escalation and spillover. Lebanese militant group Hezbollah fired an anti-tank missile at an Israeli military position yesterday. The Israeli army shelled the area in southern Lebanon where the attack was launched. Rockets have also been fired into Israel from Syria. So now we come to how did this happen? The initial attack from Hamas into Israel. This is an article on BBC News. 
How did Israeli intelligence fail to stop major attack from Gaza? We have no idea how this could have happened. That is the reaction Israeli officials have been giving when I asked them how, with all its vast resources, Israeli intelligence did not see this attack coming. Dozens of armed Hamas gunmen were able to cross the heavily fortified border between Israel and the Gaza Strip, while thousands of rockets were fired from Gaza into Israel. With the combined efforts of Shin Bet, Israeli domestic intelligence, Mossad, its external spy agency, and all the assets of the Israeli defense forces, it is frankly astounding that nobody saw this coming. Or if they did, they failed to act on it. Israel has arguably the most extensive and well-funded intelligence services in the Middle East. It has informants and agents inside Palestinian militant groups as well as in Lebanon, Syria and elsewhere. It has in the past carried out precisely timed assassinations of militant leaders knowing all their movements intimately. Sometimes these have been done with drone strikes after agents have placed a GPS tracker on an individual's car. Sometimes in the past it is it has even used exploding mobile phones. On the ground along the tense border fence between Gaza and Israel, there are cameras, ground motion sensors and regular army patrols. The barbed wire top fence is supposed to have been a smart barrier to prevent exactly the sort of infiltration that has taken place in this attack. Yet the militants of Hamas simply bulldozed their way through it, cut holes in the wire or entered Israel from the sea and by a paraglider. To prepare for and carry out such a coordinated complex attack involving the stockpiling and firing of thousands of rockets right under the noses of the Israelis must have taken extraordinary levels of operational security by Hamas. Not surprisingly, the Israeli media has been asking urgent questions of their country's military and political leaders as to how all this could have occurred on the 50th anniversary of another surprise attack by Israel's enemies at the time, the Yom Kippur War of October 1973. Israeli officials tell me a major investigation has begun and questions they say will go on for years. But right now, Israel has more pressing priorities. It needs to contain and suppress the infiltration of its southern borders, removing those Hamas militants who have taken control of several communities on the Israeli side of the border fence. It will need to address the issue of its own citizens who have been taken captive either through an armed rescue mission or by negotiation. It will try to eliminate the launch sites for all those rockets being fired into Israel, an almost impossible task of whack-a-mole, as they can be launched from almost anywhere with little notice. And perhaps the biggest worry for Israel is this. How does it stop others responding to Hamas's call to arms and avoid this conflagration spreading into the West Bank and possibly even draw in the heavily armed fighters of Hezbollah across its northern border with Lebanon? And there's another article on the Associated Press website. What went wrong? Questions emerge over Israel's intelligence prowess after Hamas attack. For Palestinians in Gaza, Israel's eyes are never very far away. Surveillance drones buzz constantly from the skies. The highly secured border is awash with security cameras and soldiers on guard. Intelligence agencies work sources and cyber capabilities to draw out a bevy of information. But Israel's eyes appear to have been closed in the lead-up to an unprecedented onslaught by the militant Hamas group, which broke down Israeli border barriers and sent hundreds of militants into Israel to carry out a brazen attack that has killed hundreds and pushed the region toward conflict. Israel's intelligence agencies have gained an aura of invincibility over the decades because of a string of achievements. Israel has foiled plots seeded in the West Bank, allegedly hunted down Hamas operatives in Dubai, has been accused of killing Israeli nuclear scientists in the heart of Iran. 
even when their efforts have stumbled. Agencies like Mossad, Shin Bet, and military intelligence have maintained their mystique. But the weekend's assault, which caught Israel off guard on a major Jewish holiday, plunges that reputation into doubt and raises questions about the country's readiness in the face of a weaker but determined film. Over 48 hours later, Hamas militants continued to battle Israeli forces inside Israeli territory, and dozens of Israelis were in Hamas captivity in Gaza. This is a major failure, said Yaakov Amador, a former national security advisor to Prime Minister Netanyahu. This operation actually proves that the intelligence abilities in Gaza were no good. And this is an article on the Activist Post website, which does some good uh, journalism and articles. Uh, something is not right about the Israel-Hamas war. Could it lead to genocide in World War Three? On Saturday morning, an ominously quiet region was set alight with rocket-fired gun battles and declarations of war, the latter threatening to bring in a multitude of other countries on, this, on either side. Indeed, the events that took place were in, in Palestine and Israel could very well be the powder keg that ignites the rest of the world into an open and undeniable Third World War. The clash began when fighters from Hamas launched rockets in a ground attack on villages near Gaza. Unlike previous clashes, the fighters used paratroops and parasails and also cut through the border fence to conduct their operations, which were also conducted from the sea, with Hamas using a number of ships. Hamas was able to capture several villages under Israeli control, as well as make off with Israeli soldiers as prisoners. Hamas also reportedly captured Israeli civilians, taking them back across the battle lines into Hamas territory. Hamas also launched thousands of rockets, with some reports of between 2,000 and 5,000 against numerous cities with Tel Aviv reporting damage as well. Israeli officials claimed that 300 people were killed and hundreds wounded. Palestinian officials from the Palestinian Health Ministry reported 160 Palestinians had been killed and estimated that 1,000 were wounded. Reports stated between 13 and 21 Israeli-controlled villages were infiltrated by Hamas. Human rights groups consider Gaza an open-air prison. Most Palestinians living in the region are refugees. Gaza is one of the most densely populated areas on the planet, with 2 million people living in 140 square miles. Israel severely restricts the amount of food, fuel and water the people of Gaza can access. Predictably, the United States is declaring its unwavering support for Israel, with President Biden stating that military assistance is on its way to Israel and neocon Nikki Haley, former SC governor and US diplomat, currently running for the Republican nomination, stating that Israel should finish them, meaning the Palestinians. The United States is joined by much of the Western world, including usual suspects Britain and Germany, but the Middle East and other countries are not so willing to throw unquestioning support behind Israel, thus exposing a worldwide rift in the philosophy of the current world order. Israel claims that the surprise element of the attacks were the result of a catastrophic failure of intelligence on the part of the Israeli intelligence apparatus. In short, Israel claims that Hamas used methods to bypass its surveillance system and thus avoid detection during a prolonged period of planning. While Israel has a robust system of cameras and internet cell phone monitoring, it is reported that Hamas used more traditional methods of communication, such as in-person meetings and the use of couriers to deliver messages, thus avoiding technology and the pitfalls of technological surveillance. However, something simply does not add up when it comes to the Israeli explanation. Gaza is one of the most surveilled areas in the world. The Israelis are exceptionally good at intelligence gathering and putting that intelligence to use, and yet we are supposed to believe there were not enough Israeli intelligence agents on the ground in Palestinian territory to catch wind of such a monumental operation. Anyone who understands geopolitics and has been to the Middle East knows well how powerful and effective Israeli intelligence is in the region. But while it may be possible that Hamas did outwit the Israeli intelligence apparatus, by using more rudimentary methods of communication, how do we know this now? How did we know the next day? Did Hamas announce its methods or did Israel discover it 24 hours too late? This explanation seems all too neatly sewn and all too quickly delivered to be entirely believable. 
Indeed, the attack was able to deliver losses to the Israeli military in direct combat. Missiles got past the Iron Dome and ships escaped discovery. None of these losses are such that the Israeli military is crippled or even damaged beyond a potential perception of weakness, but it was all theatrical enough and horrendous enough for civilians to experience that it has been useful to instill fear in the population. Is it possible that Israel did, in fact, know about the plans to attack before they happened and that the Israeli government allowed it to happen for some reason or other? Is it also possible that the Israelis worked with Hamas to do so? Indeed, on its own soil, Israel has long been documented as creating fake al-Qaeda groups to justify its treatment of the Palestinian people. With that in mind, it is important to note that Israel's arch-nemesis Hamas was created by Israel itself for the purpose of splitting the PLO. Palestinian Liberation Organization and Fatah, the leading outfit for the Palestinian Freedom and Resistance Movement. Of course, the Israeli official story of the attacks may very well be true, and we cannot discount the possibility of an organic uprising against the Israeli government, which has treated the Palestinian people so horribly throughout its history and has essentially engaged in a plan of slow eradication of Palestinians. But given the questionable nature of the Israeli official story and the questionable allegiances of Hamas, what would be the endgame of allowing Hamas attack on Israeli soil from the Israeli government? There are several options. One, declare martial law on the Israeli population who have been divided and restless over the economy and cultural manipulation, as well as other political issues inside Israel. This war has effectively silenced political dissent and internal disagreements. Two, create an Israeli 9-11 that would generate support both inside and outside Israel for the final solution to the Palestinian problem. In other words, a massive incursion into the Gaza Strip and possibly other territories. How ironic would it be, by the way, this was the equivalent of 9-11 for Israel, given that Israel were behind 9-11, ultimately. Anyway, number three, an excuse to launch an attack against Hezbollah before the Iranian-backed militia gains so much strength that Israel is unable to defend itself successfully, a very real possibility given the increasing strength and skill of the militia currently. And number four, to launch a war against Iran that will logically draw in the United States to do the brunt of the fighting, thus breaking its largest functional enemy in the region. Naturally, it would be important to point out that it is unlikely that the Israeli government would take such steps without first consulting the United States and being reassured the American military will quickly come to its rescue. Well, they know it will, because they know America's on the side of Israel. Anyway, the article continues. The military battles between Hamas and the Israeli government threatened to bring in more powers besides the two directly fighting, all the way to the point of multinational military conflicts directly in the region and far outside its scope. Already, Hezbollah and Israel have traded rocket fire on the border. Hezbollah is backed by Iran, which predictably is a connection Israel and its acolytes will seize upon in order to justify military conflict with Iran and claims that Iran is ultimately behind the current conflict. Interestingly enough, however, the spokesman for Hamas has already told the BBC that Iran gave its support the organization for the operation that was just launched. It is unusual for combatants to openly volunteer the names of their financial backers, but conveniently for those who want to demonize Iran and blame it for the new war, Hamas has come through with flying colors. Iran's side of the story is currently unknown. Perhaps it did support the operation, and perhaps it did not. Both possibilities are realistic, but neither of them will matter in the West, where the Western media has already drawn the logical conclusion Iran is responsible for the attacks on Israel. The current Israeli war is already spilling across borders, but if it is not contained immediately, will risk bringing in Lebanon, Hezbollah, Iran, Syria, Egypt, the United States, 
NATO and Russia, as well as the gangs and hordes of Islamic fundamentalist terrorists the West and GCC have spotted across the Middle East. Western powers must stay out of the Israeli-Hamas war. Both the United States and Russia, though it will likely only become involved as a result of US involvement, must show the utmost restraint in this regard. The world cannot afford to allow this war to become the graveyard of humanity. But what about if the world was run by a cult with global reach and power that wanted exactly that? So now we come to my analysis on this. And the first thing to mention, which has been mentioned in those articles, is that Israel has the most sophisticated security and intelligence services in the world in Mossad and Shin Bet and Unit 8200 with state-of-the-art and cutting-edge surveillance. But they never saw the attack coming. I talk in my new book, Reality Check, in an appendix chapter about the fact that Israel has a backdoor into virtually every computer in the world and device in the world through the Israeli company Intel and the Intel microchip or microprocessor. And there's the Minix system on computers, M-I-N-I-X, which facilitates the equivalent of a second operating system which can take over from the main operating system and there's nothing you can do on the screen of the main operating system to, to challenge it. Backdoors in technology like mobile phones reported occasionally in the media are not there by accident but by design. The tagline of Intel in advertisements is Intel Inside, meaning intelligence inside, Israeli intelligence. Israel Inside would make for a far more accurate tagline. Intel has spent nearly 50 years in Israel. A large amount of tech companies open centers and ventures in Israel, especially Silicon Valley companies, which is no surprise given that Silicon Valley and Israel are both owned by the Sabbatean cult, which I've talked about in this podcast before and I talk about in the new book, which was responsible for the creation of Israel. Not Jewish people, no. That's the cover story. Jewish people did not found Israel. The Sabbatean cult did which pretends to be Jewish for its own ends and its own protection, so that whenever anybody exposes what they're doing, or them, they, through their Zionist network, and Zionism's nothing to do with Jewish people, by the way, it's the it's the network of the Sabbatean cult, uh, whenever anybody exposes any of that, then they can be called anti-Semitic. The Sabbatean cult, not least through the Rothschilds, who are not Jewish, they're Sabbateans, according to a Jewish writer on this, Marvin Stewart Antleman, Rabbi Antleman, the Rothschilds are, in his words, the Sabbateans. They paid for the terrorist groups like Ergun and the Stern Gang to bomb Israel into existence in 1948. For reasons explained in Reality Check, the Sabbatean cult pretends to be Jewish when it is, in fact, a satanic cult. And Jewish researchers and Jewish writers who know about this Sabbatean cult have said that they hate Jewish people the irony and they have a whole network of zionist organizations set up allegedly to protect jewish people from discrimination but in truth to censor people and deplatform them and stop them being able to speak in public when they're exposing what this sabbatean cult and its zionist network is doing in right across society in different areas of society across the world and this is why when you talk about a global elite or a global cabal plotting to take over the world, even if you don't mention Israel, Jewish people, or Zionism, you are called anti-Semitic because they call it an anti-Semitic trope. They say, oh, well, because some people say that, meaning Jewish people, therefore anyone who says it means Jewish people, which is, of course, not the case. 
and I have contended before, is it is my contention that this Sabbatean cult is ultimately calling the shots at the level of this cult that we can see and name the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, etc. There's other levels of this cult, other names and families and maybe even other subcults we don't know about because they never put themselves on public display. But in terms of the level of the cult that we can identify and has been identified, it would seem that the Sabbatean cult is the most fundamental part of the cult calling the shots at that level. And it's believed that the Rothschilds are on the level we can see calling the shots. Well, that would make sense because the Rothschilds are Sabbateans. So, uh, Israeli Prime Minister and Sabbatean Benjamin Netanyahu said in a speech in 2018 at the APAC conference. APAC is the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, which is a lobby group. Uh, this is what he said in 2018 at a conference at an APAC conference. You know these companies, Apple, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, guess what? They all have research centers in Israel, major research centers, and they're not alone. There are hundreds more, and there's a reason. Something is going on. It's a great change. It's the confluence of big data, connectivity, and artificial intelligence. You get that? You know what they do? It revolutionizes old industries and creates entirely new industries. And as I said just now, APAC is an Israeli political lobby group and holds enormous unchallenged clout over American politics. Silicon Valley is an Israeli operation in truth in as much as it's a Zionist creation. It's created by the American Military Intelligence Network. And there's a great book on that called Surveillance Valley by Israeli investigative journalist Yasha Levine. The American Military Intelligence Network is controlled by Zionism and thus by the Sabbatean cult. A military intelligence complex in Israel known as Unit 8200 and Beersheba in the Beersheba military intelligence complex is the location from within which the AI connected to the human mind will be controlled if we allow that agenda to unfold. And it's no wonder that Israel has its own Silicon Valley because Israel in terms of cyber security and surveillance and AI and that whole tech world is massively advanced. It's called Silicon Wadi. Anyway, with all that technology and surveillance capability, the attack by Hamas was a surprise. No chance. If it was known about, then why did they do nothing to stop it unless they wanted it to happen? I don't mean the people of Israel, obviously. I mean the authorities of Israel, which are ultimately controlled by the Sabbatean cult. And here's an article on that on BBC News. Egypt warned Israel days before Hamas struck, U.S. Committee Chairman says. Israel was warned by Egypt of potential violence three days before Hamas's deadly cross-border raid, a U.S. Congressional Panel Chairman has said. House of Representatives Foreign Affairs Committee head Michael McCall told reporters of the alleged warning. Israeli PM Benjamin Netanyahu described the reports as absolutely false. Israeli intelligence services are under scrutiny for their failure to prevent the deadliest attack by Palestinian militants in Israel's 75-year history. We know that Egypt had warned the Israelis three days prior that an event like this could happen. Mr. McCall told reporters following a closed-door intelligence briefing for lawmakers about the Middle East crisis, according to AFP news agency. I don't want to get too much 
into classified, but a warning was given. The Texas Republican added, I think the question was at what level. An Egyptian intelligence official told the Associated Press news agency that Cairo had repeatedly warned the Israelis something big was being planned from Gaza. We have warned them an explosion in the situation is coming and very soon and it would be big, but they underestimated such warnings, said the official who spoke on condition of anonymity. A Cairo official said Israeli officials had played down a threat from Gaza instead focusing on the West Bank. So Alex Younger, who served as chief of the UK's foreign intelligence agency between 2014 and 2020, said Hamas fighters were able to carry out their attack on 7th of October due to institutional complacency in Israel. He told BBC Radio 4's Today podcast there may have been an assumption by Israel that Hamas was not interested in a new conflict so any information that contradicted that was discounted. It is my assumption, though I'm not on the inside, that there would be data breaking through that could have been interpreted differently and certainly would be with hindsight, he said. He added that complacency could have been compounded by an over-reliance on technological means to monitor Gaza, leading to a false sense of security. According to the Financial Times, quoting two unnamed Officials familiar with the matter, there is no hard intelligence of a specific attack. On Wednesday, Mr Netanyahu described any suggestion that Israel had received a specific warning in advance of the deadly incursion as totally fake news. Egypt, which controls who crosses its border with Gaza, often serves as a mediator between Israel and Hamas. More than 1,500 militants stormed through the Gaza security barrier in a coordinated land, air and sea attack. The death toll in Israel from the Hamas attacks had reached 1,200. More than 1,000 people have been killed by Israeli airstrikes on Gaza. Israel has been pounding Hamas targets in Gaza in response, while residents of the territory say they have no mains electricity after their only power station ran out of fuel. Hamas has, meanwhile, condemned US President Joe Biden's remarks, saying Israel had a duty to respond to the attacks, which he called an act of sheer evil. The Palestinian group said Mr Biden's remarks were inflammatory and aimed to escalate tensions in the Gaza Strip. In the wake of the Hamas attack, the US announced it was moving an aircraft carrier ships and jets to the eastern Mediterranean and that it would also give Israel additional equipment and ammunition. The ultimate irony, but not really when you know how this cult controls both sides in major events, because it's incredibly uneasy at situations it can call. It wants to be in control as much as possible. So it controls both sides. And Hamas was created by Israel. This is in the Wall Street Journal, how Israel helped to spawn Hamas. This is from 2009. Surveying the wreckage of a neighbor's bungalow hit by a Palestinian rocket, retired Israeli official Avner Cohen tracks the missile's trajectory back to an enormous stupid mistake made 30 years ago. Hamas, to my great regret, is Israel's creation, says Mr. Cohen, a Tunisian-born Jew who worked in Gaza for more than two decades. Responsible for religious affairs in the region until 1994, Mr. Cohen watched the Islamist movement take shape, muscle aside secular Palestinian rivals, and then morph into what is today Hamas, a militant group that is sworn to Israel's destruction. Instead of trying to curb Gaza's Islamists from the outset, says Mr. Cohen, Israel for years tolerated and in some cases encouraged them as a counterweight to the secular nationalists of the Palestine Liberation Organization and its dominant faction, Yasser Arafat's Fatah. Israel cooperated with a crippled half-blind cleric named Sheikh Ahmed Yassin, even as he was laying the foundations for what would become Hamas. Sheikh Yassin continues to inspire militants today 
A look at Israel's decades-long dealings with Palestinian radicals, including some little-known attempts to cooperate with the Islamists, reveals a catalogue of unintended and often perilous consequences. Time and again, Israel's efforts to find a pliant Palestinian partner that is both credible with Palestinians and willing to eschew violence have backfired. And this is not to say that everyone in Hamas knows that Israel created it, but those in the inner core will. This is an article on The Intercept, how Israel helped create Hamas. Did you know that Hamas, which is an Arabic acronym for Islamic Resistance Movement, would probably not exist today were it not for the Jewish state, that the Israelis helped turn a bunch of fringe Palestinian Islamists in the late 1970s into one of the world's most notorious militant groups, that Hamas is blowback? This is not a conspiracy theory. Listen to former Israeli officials, such as Brigadier General Yitzhak Segev, who was the Israeli military governor in Gaza in the early 1980s. Segev later told a New York Times reporter that he had helped finance the Palestinian Islamist movement as a counterweight to the secularists and leftists of the Palestine Liberation Organization and the Fatah party led by Yasser Arafat, who himself referred to Hamas as a creature of Israel. The Israeli government gave me a budget, the retired Brigadier General confessed, and the military government gives to the mosques. Hamas, to my great regret, is Israel's creation. Avner Cohen, a former Israeli religious affairs official who worked in Gaza for more than two decades, told the Wall Street Journal in 2009. Back in the mid-1980s, Cohen even wrote an official report to his superiors warning them not to play divide and rule in the occupied territories by backing Palestinian Islamists against Palestinian secularists. I suggest focusing our efforts on finding ways to break up this monster before this reality jumps in our face, he wrote. Well, it just has. So, Hamas was Israel's creation. Netanyahu has said that after they're finished with the current conflict with Hamas, they'll move on to Iran. I talk in my first book, Pay-Per-View in Print, about the long-time plan to attack Iran, how the foreign policy of the West, Britain and America primarily, in the Middle and Near East and North Africa, is fundamentally connected to Israel. Yes, it's wrong for Hamas to target civilians in Israel, of course it is. And it's wrong for Israel to do what it's doing now to civilians in Palestine. But let's not forget the decades-long history since 1948 of genocide by Israel, in addition to erosion of land and apartheid between Israel and Palestine. We have seen fake alternative names in the alleged alternative media. Revealing their true colours this week, names like Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro and Andrew Tate supporting Israel in their attacks against Palestine and calling for Netanyahu to give them hell. Who's they? Hamas? Or the men, women and children facing a daily nightmare now in Palestine and in Israel as the conflict continues? Men, women and children who have nothing to do with the conflict. They didn't call the conflict. They don't want the conflict. As always, those who call the conflict are safely away from it, watching others kill and be killed. And Leroy Fletcher Prouty served as Chief of Special Operations for the Joint Chiefs of Staff under President John F. Kennedy, a colonel in the United States Air Force. He had a couple of very relevant quotes. One of them here. No one has to direct an assassination. It happens. The active role is played secretly by permitting it to happen. This is the greatest single clue who has the power to call off or reduce the usual security precautions. And when you look at these terrorist events and other events, you find again and again and again the normal security, for some reason, is not there, which allows the attacks to happen. Another quote from Prouty. Kennedy 
assassinationists demonstrated that most of the major events of world significance are masterfully planned and orchestrated by an elite coterie of enormously powerful people who are not of one nation, one ethnic grouping, or one overridingly important business group. They are a power unto themselves for whom these others work. Neither is this power elite of recent origin. Its roots go deep into the past. And that's the point. This global cult that I'm talking about, this elite cult, cabal, whatever name you prefer, they do go back very far into history. And that's uh, actually a subject that I'm going to be researching a lot over the next year or so. The history of this cult. Where did they actually come from? Babylon is a major centre, but where do they come from and how did they get to where they are today? Who are they? The history of this cult. Because the more you can document them, and that has been done, but I think um, I'm going to write another book on this, uh, as well as the untold history of humanity, because we've been given a fake history in so many ways. And I want to look at that in a different way to what it's been done before. Absolutely correct to say this cult goes back right into the far reaches of history. And they're not of one nation or one ethnic grouping. They have no borders. They're not aligned to any country, any nationality, any color, any creed. They want to control the entirety of humanity, no matter what your race, religion, ethnicity, uh, creed, colour, class, gender, any of those. They want to control all of humanity equally. And that's why coming together to resist their agenda, which I detail in my first book, have been laying out in this podcast since 2018, is so necessary. Because only this is why they want to divide and rule the population across all the points of division. Because while we're divided, we can be controlled and manipulated and while we are united then we can't be and we can overturn their nightmare agenda anyway another uh, figure worth mentioning here is freemasonic icon albert pike who wrote an alleged letter sent in 1871 correctly predicting the two world wars even though he died in 1891 pike was a captain for the u.s army during the american civil war and a former 33rd degree freemason with the title of supreme pontiff of universal freemasonry and sovereign grand commander of the scottish rights southern jurisdiction now in regular freemasonry there's only three degrees that's as high as you can go but the scottish right has 33 degrees and in fact there's two levels of the 33rd degree and when you go through the second you go into what i would call the cult pyramid and when you get to the top of that then you find this cult uh anyway the letter that pike wrote even talks about a jewish homeland in palestine after world war ii the problem is that by the time pike's letter became known the two world wars had long passed so any credibility lies in what pike is alleged to have said about the long-planned third world war Pike apparently sent the letter to a friend, an Italian politician called Giuseppe Mazzini. English-born Canadian naval officer and author William Guy Carr wrote a book published in 1959 claiming to quote Pike. And this is the extract from the letter, the alleged letter anyway at least, where Pike talks about the Third World War. Bear in mind, Pike died in 1891. The Third World War must be fermented by taking advantage of the differences between the political Zionists and the leaders of the Islamic world. The war must be conducted in such a way that Islam, the Muslim Arabic world, and political Zionism, the state of Israel, mutually destroy each other. And meanwhile, the other nations, once more 
divided on this issue will be constrained to fight to the point of complete physical, moral, spiritual and economical exhaustion. We shall unleash the nihilists and the atheists, and we shall provoke a formidable social cataclysm, which, in all its horror, will show clearly to the nations the effect of absolute atheism, origin of savagery, and of the most bloody turmoil. Then everywhere, the citizens, obliged to defend themselves against the world minority of revolutionaries, will exterminate those destroyers of civilization and the multitude disillusioned with the Christianity, whose deistic spirits will from that moment be without compass or direction, anxious for an ideal but without knowing where to render its adoration, will receive the true light through the universal manifestation of the pure doctrine of Lucifer, brought finally out in the public view. This manifestation will result from the general reactionary movement which will follow the destruction of Christianity. Christianity and atheism, both conquered and exterminated at the same time. So many points come from this statement. Unleashing the nihilists has already happened, and we call them Islamic State and other such terrorist groups, well armed by America and Britain. Al-Qaeda and Islamic State created by the West, as I as I detail in pay-per-view in print. The atheists have been out in force for a while now. Atheism at its most extreme is ironically also a religion and its god is there is no god. If you have an agenda to impose a satanic one world religion you need to remove all other religions and atheism is a perfect vehicle for doing so. There is an agenda to provoke a formidable social cataclysm and this is one reason why the authorities have been so lax on dealing with the consequences of unfettered migration and at the same time we have so many adult young men being allowed legally into the west. Look at Sweden for the consequences of unfettered migration in terms of the crime and the fact that there are no-go areas in Sweden where even the police won't go. Wahhabi terrorism, which is a creation of the Sabbatean cult, not Islamic terrorism, Wahhabi terrorism. I look at the history of that in my first book. Wahhabi terrorism with American and British supplied weaponry only stokes the fire of fear, division and resentment. The cult operates to a different timeline than the general global population. The cult would have planned Zionism a long time before it existed. If Pike really did write this letter, the fact it was dated 1871 is irrelevant, or it was alleged to have been sent in 1871. The worst thing we can do in this situation is take sides. The cult wants us to choose sides because then we can be manipulated and played off against each other. The Israeli government, Sabbatean government, treated its population appallingly by ironically imposing fascism during the COVID era, not least enforcing its population to take an untested fake vaccine. I say fake because it does not stop transmission or infection and it does not meet any previous criteria of a vaccine. But Israel forced its population to take an untested fake vaccine with no long-term data which has proven itself to be incredibly dangerous to health, and there's a ton of evidence and information on that in a whole chapter running to over 140 pages in Reality Check. They don't give a shit about the Israelis or Palestinians. Hamas don't give a shit about Israelis or Palestinians. They're just a means to an end. The global population have just paws in the eyes of the cult to be used and abused any which way to achieve their agenda. The answer is not warfare and conflict, because that only leads to more warfare and conflict. The answer is to come together. The people of Palestine and the people of Israel, they're not the ones fighting. The Israeli government and Hamas are the ones fighting. The people doing the fighting on behalf of Hamas need to see that they are just a vehicle for Israel and were created by them and see the reality of what they're part of and come together with those fighting on behalf of the Israeli government. That's how we bring an end to this chaos.